The House and Senate will both return Monday and stay in session through Thursday. Last week on the House floor, the House came back last Monday and passed a bill under suspension of the rules. On Tuesday, the House tried to override the president's veto of H.J. Res. 46, the resolution terminating the national emergency, he declared. The veto override effort failed by a vote of 248 to 181, with only one more Republican voting for the veto override than voted for the original measure several weeks ago. Then the House passed two more bills under suspension. On Wednesday, the House took up and passed H.R. 7, the Paycheck Fairness Act. The measure passed by a vote of 242 to 187. On Thursday, the House took up and passed H.R. 124, expressing opposition to banning service in the armed forces by openly transgender individuals. The measure passed by a vote of 235 to 180, I'm sorry, 238 to 185. And then they were done. This week on the House floor, they'll return Monday, first vote set for 6.30 p.m. At that time, the House is scheduled to consider four bills under suspension of the rules. On Tuesday, the House will consider H.R.S. 271, condemning the Trump administration's legal campaign to take away Americans' health care. That's the title of the resolution, believe it or not. Then the House will consider another three bills under suspension of the rules. On Wednesday, the House will consider H.R. 1585, the Violence Against Women Reauthorization Act of 2019. The House may also consider S.J. Res. 7 to direct the removal of U.S. armed forces from hostilities in the Republic of Yemen that have not been authorized by Congress. Last week on the Senate floor, the Senate came back last Monday and voted to invoke cloture on the nomination of Bridget S. Bade to be U.S. Circuit Judge for the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. On Tuesday, the Senate voted by 78 to 21 to confirm Bridget S. Bade to be U.S. Circuit Judge for the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Then the Senate moved to invoke cloture on the motion to proceed to S.J. Res. 8, a joint resolution recognizing the duty of the federal government to create a Green New Deal. That motion failed when all 53 Republicans, plus Doug Jones, Joe Manchin, Kirsten Sinema, and Angus King, voted against ending debate, and the remaining 43 Democrats voted present. Later on Tuesday, the Senate voted by 90 to 10 to invoke cloture on the motion to proceed to H.R. 268, the Disaster Supplemental Appropriations Bill. On Thursday, the Senate voted by 95 to 1 to confirm Nicole R. Nason to be administrator of the Federal Highway Administration, and then they were done. This week on the Senate floor, the Senate will come back into session and resume consideration of H.R. 268, the Disaster Supplemental Appropriations Bill. Based on the cloture motions filed by Senate Majority Leader McConnell last week, I'd say the next items on the Senate agenda this week will be a Shelby Amendment to the Disaster Supplemental Appropriations Bill. That'll be voted on at 5.30 p.m. Monday. Then the Senate will move to consideration of the amended Appropriations Bill. And then finally... The Senate will consider a motion to proceed to S. Res. 50, a resolution improving procedures for the consideration of nominations in the Senate. We'll talk more about that in a moment. On the border security front, appearing on Friday's Morning Joe, former Obama-era Secretary of Homeland Security Jay Johnson spoke about the crisis on the southern border. To the chagrin of Mika and her assembled liberal panelists, Johnson declared in no uncertain terms that what's happening on the southern border qualifies as a crisis. Said Johnson, quote, when I was in office in Kirsten Nielsen's job at her desk, I'd get to work around 6.30 in the morning, and there'd be my intelligence book sitting on my desk, the PDB, that's the president's daily brief, and also the apprehension numbers from the day before, and I'd look at them every morning. They'd be the first thing I'd look at, and I probably got too close to the problem, and my staff will tell you, if it was under 1,000 apprehensions the day before, that was a relatively good number, and if it was above 1,000, that was a relatively bad number, and I was going to be in a bad mood the whole day. 
On Tuesday, there were 4,000 apprehensions. I know that 1,000 overwhelms the city. Not begin to imagine what 4,000 a day looks like. So we are truly in a crisis, end quote. Johnson is correct. Late last week, the Wall Street Journal reported that, quote, the Trump administration has curtailed a key component of its zero-tolerance immigration policy, no longer charging first-time illegal border crossers with a crime along a busy stretch of West Texas. Prosecutions of single migrant adults caught crossing the border for the first time in and around Del Rio, Texas, were suspended in February amid lack of jail space, said a U.S. Border Patrol official. Instead of being charged with a misdemeanor, most single migrants or adults traveling without children apprehended crossing the border illegally for the first time will face swift deportation without criminal charges, end quote. That's important because under the current policy, having a misdemeanor conviction on their record means they can be charged with a felony for their second illegal border crossing, which could result in a lengthy prison term. Sending them back across the border without first charging them with a misdemeanor means that the second time they get caught, it's legally considered the first time and they're not subject to jail time. Meanwhile, last week, Border Patrol agents in the Rio Grande Valley stopped passing off some families to ICE to be detained due to crowding concerns. Instead, those families were allowed to enter the country. This is now the practice in areas including Del Rio, San Diego, El Paso, and Yuma. On Thursday, CBP Commissioner Kevin McAleenan said that illegal border crossings had reached what he called a breaking point for Customs and Border Protection. Quote, for the first time in over a decade, CPB is performing direct releases of migrants when immigration and customs enforcement is unable to provide bed space to relieve overcrowding, unquote, he declared. On Friday, President Trump threatened to close the Mexican border this week, writing in a series of tweets that unless Mexico's new government steps in to immediately halt illegal border crossings, he would take action. According to the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, the U.S. and Mexico trade roughly $1.7 billion in goods every day. The chamber says closing the border would threaten 5 million American jobs. And on Saturday, President Trump moved to cut foreign aid to El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras. The State Department notified Congress that it would attempt to suspend FY 2017 and FY 2018 fund transfers to the three Central American nations. Democrats continued to refuse to acknowledge the problem, and I'd bet a lot of money Jay Johnson won't be booked onto MSNBC or CNN anytime in the near future. To the Green New Deal, Senate Democrats apparently don't think much of their much-touted Green New Deal. All but four of them failed to support it when given the chance. And to be honest, I'm not at all sure they made the right move politically. They had two choices last Tuesday when Leader McConnell moved his motion to proceed to consideration of a resolution supporting the Green New Deal. They could have voted yay or they could have voted present. If they had voted yay, they still wouldn't have had enough to invoke cloture. So they never would have had to actually vote on the Green New Deal itself but they would have sent a signal of support to their progressive base. It seems to me they would, that would have been the smarter move than what they all ended up doing, which does nothing to defend them against the Republicans' charges that they're all in for spending tons of money we don't have on this fantasy, while at the same time disappointing their progressive base. Score this a win for McConnell. On the Obamacare front, last Monday, the Department of Justice announced it is changing its legal position and siding with a federal district court ruling that found Obamacare to be unconstitutional. Typically, it is the position of the Department of Justice that any federal law on the book should be defended. When the DOJ decides to agree with a court ruling declaring a federal law unconstitutional, 
That's news. This decision is just more proof that President Trump is determined to drain the swamp and end business as usual in Washington. Those shrieks you may have heard as far west as the Mississippi River on Monday were from professional Washingtonians screaming, he did what? According to reporting later in the week, the decision was made in the White House by Trump, acting with the support of a triumvirate of powerful staffers, acting Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney, acting OMB Director Russ Vogt, and Domestic Policy Council Chief Joe Grogan over the objections of Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar and Attorney General Bill Barr. Congressional Republican leaders who fumbled the ball on Obamacare repeal in the last Congress, to put it mildly, were not pleased. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy called the president and told him so. While Senate Majority Leader McConnell used an interview with the media to send his message, he would look forward to seeing what the White House came up with on health care reform, because he certainly had no intention of revisiting the scene of his greatest embarrassment at the last Congress. Nobody thinks the 116th Congress is going to make any significant moves on Obamacare. As long as Democrats control the House of Representatives, that's a non-starter. Trump is laying the groundwork for the off chance that the lower court's ruling is upheld in both the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, which is possible but not likely, or the Supreme Court, which is possible but even less likely. On the Russia hoax, in the weeks since Attorney General William Barr sent his letter to the heads of the House and Senate Judiciary Committees regarding the end of the Mueller probe, we've learned the following. First, the Mueller report clocks in at more than 300 pages, but less than 1,000. Given that it took almost three years, 19 lawyers, 40 FBI agents, 2,800 subpoenas, 500 search warrants, and 500 witness interviews, that's actually a much shorter document than I had expected. Second, according to the Attorney General, we'll see the redacted version of the report sometime in mid-April. That will be later than the Tuesday, April 2nd deadline the House Judiciary Committee set, but House Judiciary Chairman Gerald Nadler is just going to have to wait. Third, as we discussed last week, what we're all going to end up seeing is a redacted version of the report. Before he can release it for public consumption, Barr and his minions, working with Mueller and his minions, it should be noted, first have to scrub it of all kinds of sensitive information. They cannot release grand jury material. They cannot... Uh, release classified intelligence for fear of compromising sources and methods. They will delete information that may bear on other pending legal cases. Fourth, we learned that Mueller had told the Attorney General and the, and the Deputy Attorney General three weeks before he handed over his report that he was going to punt on answering the question of obstruction of justice. This is hugely important because it means that the first Democrat talking point that Barr acted hastily, making his decision against obstruction and then relaying it to Congress in just 48 hours, is wrong. Barr and Rosenstein had three weeks to digest and discuss and examine and cogitate over Mueller's own non-recommendations on the obstruction front, and three weeks is a lot more than 48 hours. In the wake of the end of the investigation, Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Lindsey Graham indicated he's all in for an investigation of the investigators. And from the even a stopped clock is right twice a day files comes this nugget. Senate Majority Leader McConnell thinks that's appropriate and supports Graham's upcoming effort to get to the bottom of it. A cynic might point out that both McConnell and Graham are in cycle and will be facing re-election before conservative electorates a year from November and might have personal political reasons for wanting to appear to support the president. To which another cynic might reply, having them act conservative for two years out of every six is better than having them act conservative zero years out of every six. 
To aid those investigations, President Trump may now declassify certain certain documents that he'd held back. He indicated as much earlier in the week. Finally, to that discussion on Senate rules, Senate Majority Leader McConnell filed a cloture motion on SRES 50, a resolution that would change the interpretation of Senate rules. It would cut from 30 hours down to just two hours, the amount of time that had to pass in post-cloture debate time before debate could be ended and a final vote could be called. The change would not apply to Supreme Court or Circuit Court judges or cabinet members or some members of certain presidential boards and commissions, but will apply to district court judges and sub-cabinet executive branch appointees. McConnell's cloture motion will ripen this week. He has made clear that he hopes to make this change to the interpretation of Senate rules with bipartisan support. But if he has to, he will invoke the nuclear option and make the change with 50 votes if necessary. And that's our Washington report for this week.